Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You've heard about the global supply chain crisis from power outages and COVID outbreaks affecting manufacturing abroad to clogged ports on the West Coast and staffing shortages across the country. On Wednesday, President Biden addressed transportation bottlenecks in a meeting with stakeholders, including port operators, labor unions, and top brass from Walmart, UPS, and FedEx. The crisis isn't quite as acute when it comes to Connecticut's ports, with the local longshoremen's union telling us all is running smoothly along the eastern and Gulf coasts. But on top of staffing shortages in the state, there are some strong signals of supply chain issues in the local retail industry. There have been reports of backlogs and auto sales, price hikes and food shortages impacting restaurants and school lunches, and a familiar run on toilet paper. Today, where we live, we hear from the president of Connecticut's Retail Merchants Association, Tim Phelan. And later, Yukon economist Fred Karstensen joins us. First, with the holidays already looming large, the owner of one local toy shop chain says it's a struggle to keep her stores stocked. Joining us on Zoom now is Lori Hirschman, who owns and operates Evan's Toy Shop in Hamden, Jordy's in Guilford, and Jesse's in Orange, along with her husband. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful way to start my day. We'd love to hear from our listeners as well. What are you noticing when you're out shopping, even going to local restaurants, even those online orders that you put in? You can join us, 888-720-9677, 888-720-WMPR. Share a comment on our Facebook page and find us on Twitter at Where We Live. So, Lori, what have you been seeing over the last several months uh, when we think about you know stores having trouble keeping inventory? Has it been getting worse? Uh, it has been getting much worse. Uh, it is a challenge to keep the stores filled. And I'm kind of getting excited about the challenge because it's opening my eyes to new ways of getting product and opening my eyes to new products in general. And so it's kind of been a learning experience for me. Um, so... It's been a struggle to get the product in, but somehow we're getting around it. So talk about, you know, the old way that you were getting inventory and your relationship with uh, brand representatives or reps and what you've had to do now. Yes. So in the past, I would be in love with a particular, let's say, puzzle company or a doll company. And my reps over the years and my companies that I do business with would be, you know, very good to me and give me plenty of inventory and there has never been a problem. Since uh, maybe six months ago when the supply chain was really struggling, it forced me to look at new doll lines, new puzzle lines that are actually really working out. 
So the companies that I have done business with in the middle of this pandemic um, have decided to change their warehouses, for instance, or their um, internet um, way of doing things. They've changed courses. And so that has added to the struggle of getting product. So I've reached out to other companies with the help of my reps as to who has things in stock, who could ship the fastest, who has the most in their storage facilities. And so I've been lucky to get product that way. I referenced uh, the backlog in on the western part of our country at some of the ports. And so, you know, have there been issues where some of what you're ordering might be stuck on a ship out there? And then, as you mentioned, finding uh, new warehouses and new uh, places uh, to get inventory to your stores. So my inventory has definitely struggled because they are stuck on those ships. So now when the reps meet with me, we go through the in-stock list of what the companies have in the warehouses, and we only order in-stock things so I know what's coming. So that being said, after we look and weed through all the in-stock things, and then I expect them within a week, and they're still not here in a month, I follow up on all these orders, and what the new issue is, is they have nobody in their warehouses to pack up my orders. So the inventory of these companies are there, but nobody in the warehouse is packing up these orders to ship them. So not only is it a shipping problem, a port problem, a warehouse problem, it's uh, the personnel problem, too. So this, the inventory is there, and nobody is there to pack it up. I'm glad that you mentioned all these different pressure points uh, because this has been in the news recently and there's probably a lot of Americans who don't quite understand how the supply chain works. Uh, right. You know, in the in the dialogue that's happening with uh, national media covering this and now we're talking about just finding what the impact is here in our state. Do you find that people say, well, just buy American? Is it that simple, Lori? Uh, it is actually not that simple. I have really started navigating American companies. And you know what? A lot of them are just not there. And even those American companies, USA-made companies, which, you know, there is quite a handful there, but not enough to fill a store. Those people have affected been affected by staff shortages too. They can't get the, the stuff out either. They, they're short of help. <laughs> It's really, it's it's on so many levels that it's it's mind-boggling how many different levels the the truckers, the everything everything about the supply chain is affected. Lori, how long have you had your toy uh, toy shops? Um, so Jesse's has been around for thirty-two years. Evans is reaching the 29th year, and then Jordy's we opened up uh, over 10 years ago. Wow! Uh, when we found a perfect location in in the uh, on the shoreline for that store. So yeah, you've been doing nice. you've been you've been doing this a long time, and you must long love time. It. And and that's yeah. the other thing that um, has been helpful is because I've been doing it all these years, I've been able to navigate 
uh, I couldn't imagine opening a store like within the past year or the past two years and having to navigate uh, all of these, you know, uh, obstacles that have come up. Because if you're not going down one avenue, you're able to somehow find an, another avenue or another vendor or another rep to help you navigate this. It's been interesting. Yeah. That was my next question. I was wondering, even though you've been doing this for a long time and you have these relationships and you've got uh, different strategies to deal with the challenges, have you had some sleepless nights where you've wondered, you know, is it time to, to close? No, it's not time to close. And yes, we've had plenty of sleepless nights. And thank goodness for my husband, because we're able to, you know, figure this out together. I mean, we've we've just used each other and OK, this is plan A isn't working. What can we do with plan B? Uh, and I use my reps constantly um, for uh, suggestions on, on uh, what to do and where to go and what's next. If I can't get a sled from here, can I get it from there? If I can't get a science project. And now, for instance, um, take, speaking of my puzzle company, I always did puzzles with this one particular company from Germany. Well, I've opened my eyes to an all-women company that have fabulous puzzles. And I found an, an Italy company that has, you know, also wonderful products. So, now I have a store full of other companies that I've never done business with. So this has been actually great. My stores are full, thank goodness. Let's see if they stay full during the holiday. They say it's even going to be tougher to get. Maybe with the ports being open 24 hours a day, that may change. But I have a feeling that the truckers aren't going to be there just because the ports are open. I don't think the trucks are going to be there to take the stuff mm. off the ports. So you it's still going to be a challenge. You mentioned the holidays. So how are you gearing up? Are your customers, are they understanding what's going on? Do you feel like you'll uh, be able to help them not get frustrated if maybe you don't have what they're looking for exactly? Yes. So the customers are tuning into the news. You're definitely getting the message out. They're definitely shopping earlier. My stores are presently packed. We're hoping that they stay that way. The back rooms are ready to go. Um, so, but there's always that last minute push uh, from December 11th that um, I need my companies to ship now and let's see if they could do it. I don't, I just don't know the answer to that. In the past, mm -hmm. they've always been able to do it. I don't know if they'll do it, if they'll be able to do it this year. Any other challenges being a smaller retailer, Lori? Obviously, customer loyalty is important, and you have that. Uh, yep, but yep. when we think about you know the challenges uh, in competition with big box retailers, uh, right. the online market, um, you know, right. what you need to have in stock, and what your reps are telling you. Right, right. So I don't have a lot of the uh, big box products as I concentrate on other products. Obviously, you have to have some big box things, but I mostly don't have the big box stuff. So it's not really, I don't see them as my competition uh, because they don't have the same inventory that I have. So it's a whole different ball game with what mass market has and what, and what a small business would have. I hand pick every single item in the store and so my husband and I know every single item in the store. We're able to teach every single game. 
point out uh, specific things for a nine-month-old, a 10-month-old, a 30-year-old. It doesn't matter. And I don't think when you go to a big box store, you have that same experience of what would be appropriate for different ages. You know, they're just not skilled that way. They're just, it's not their focus. So I don't see them actually as my competition. Well, Lori Hirschman, it's been a pleasure to hear from you, co-owner of Evans, Geordie's, and Jesse's Toy Shops in Connecticut. We're glad to hear that you're doing well, and I imagine with all that uh, customer base that you have along the shore that it's going to be a good holiday season for you. Check in with me in a month <laughs> or two, and we'll we'll chat again. <laughs> Thank you, Lori, for your time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. <laughs> this is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. After the break, Connecticut Retail Merchants Association President Tim Phelan tells us what he's hearing from his members, and we want to hear from you, too. What has your shopping experience been like lately? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. A global supply chain issue has led to shortages, but how is this crisis affecting Connecticut? 90% of food operators in the state say their costs have gone up, with nearly 80% facing staffing shortages. That's according to data from the Connecticut Restaurant Association and Eating Connecticut's new Be Kind to Restaurant Restaurants campaign. Uh, Stanley at Three Brothers Diner in Danbury tells us, quote, he's running a marathon to make ends meet. We also heard from some listeners who tweeted about their experiences. Eileen writes, the half and half is never in stock, no matter what day of the week or time of day I shop. Send help. Ben tweeted, a company picked up my exercise machine for repair in April, and every time I check for status, they say they are still waiting for a part. And Matt writes, he's been fine, except for shoelaces. Didn't see that coming. What's been your shopping experience lately? We want to hear from you. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us now on Zoom is Tim Phelan, president of the Connecticut Retail Merchants Association. Tim, a shortage on shoelaces, really? Un unmute myself. Sorry. <laughs> yes, a, a run on shoelaces is a first for me. I haven't heard that. So don't have a good response, unfortunately. <laughs> that but i but we have heard um you know all products so i guess shoelaces are a product so um 
sort of makes sense. So what are you hearing from your members? Well, we're hearing a lot of what uh, Lori just uh, talked about, and kudos to her. She's doing a great job. She's a great example of uh, an independent retailer who is – you know, creative and trying to meet the needs of uh, to keep her business running and to keep her customers, um, you know, uh, satisfied. And so, you know, we're hearing we're hearing all those similar things that there's delays in in, in inventory coming in, that there are cost um, increases that are associated with that, and that there there are challenges uh, in in finding uh, employees all across uh, all across the board, whether it's from uh, the uh, all the supply chain to the storefront uh, to back office. So it, it's all sort of a better challenge. You mentioned this challenge. So how long standing has this been since the pandemic or have we reached a crescendo in the last few months? Well, no, I, I would, I would say that, um, you know, the kind of break it into two different categories. The, the supply chain challenge has been building over some time. Um, more and more consumers have been purchasing items um, via via the web and having those items uh, delivered to their store uh, to to their storefronts. So so the and that was really exasperated with the pandemic. The more people that stayed home and worked from home, they looked around their house, they saw the things they wanted uh, to get fixed, and they they ordered it online. We know that because we know the 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 orders have been increased over the last um, you know a year uh, from this year versus last year. Uh, and so that bottleneck had had been brewing for a little while, and the pandemic really sort of exasperated that. The labor shortage issue is also one that um, kind of came up during the, uh, the the tail end of the the pandemic, and is now sort of again trying to we're trying to overcome that. It's slowly but surely we seem to be, but that's still lagging a little bit behind as well. So some of these issues have been kind of uh, uh, kind of kicking around for a little while, and some of them have really. Um, it's been exasperated during this period. I wanted to bring in uh, a voice from uh, someone who's been o- has who owns a small business in Preston, uh, Scott. Uh, Preston, can you hear me from uh, the Preston yeah, Market? Hello. Good morning. Good morning, yeah. Scott Hunter, morning. owner of Preston Market. Thanks for calling in. So, tell us what you've been experiencing. Your convenience store has it been hard to to keep inventory? Yeah, one of the, the that's been a that's been a struggle um, all for about a year and a half now. Um, we're seeing typically we would see anywhere from three to five percent um, out of stock in our weekly orders, and now I mean we've had it as high as forty percent out of stock. Right now things are getting a little bit better. We're running probably around twenty twenty to twenty five percent out of stock on a weekly basis. Um, which is unheard of, you know, to go from three to five percent to go to twenty five percent. It makes things very difficult. I mean, customers come in, you know, and I don't think I don't think consumers really have a grasp on how widespread this problem is. Um, you know, people are, are so used to getting exactly what they want, and and we, we have to substitute. I mean, we can't always get the same brands. You know, it's it's a it's a challenge, and not to mention the price increases that we experience. Uh, on a weekly basis, we used to have maybe quarterly increases or, or semi-annual increases, and now we're seeing it every week. Um, I had 20, 21 items out of 109 with a, with a price increase just yesterday. Wow. So it's, it's quite a task to keep up. Tell me about how you've been substituting. So if you're usually expecting deliveries and you're not getting the product that you normally have, so what does that mean? Where do you go? 
Well, we, we go to the Walmart. Um, it, it's crazy as that sounds. Um, I've, you know, been making weekly trips to Walmart to fill in what I can't get from, from my normal, uh, convenience store distribution channels. And it's also an eye opener because we're starting to see that the, the pricing is a huge difference from the convenience store delivery channels to just walking into Walmart and buying stuff. Um, I'm not sure if these distributors, they're, they're, you know, compensating as well for their shortages and passing on to us, but the, the price changes are quite, they're quite significant. Can you give uh, for, I mean, can you, milk. Yeah. I can throw you an example right now. Yes. We just yesterday we got in milk. We paid four dollars and fifty cents. So that's our wholesale cost is four dollars and fifty cents for one gallon of milk. Um, and they're selling the same. You know, Walmart is selling a gallon of milk for two dollars and sixty three cents out the door. So it becomes harder and harder for us to compete. I mean, you know, granted we're a convenience store and things cost more, but. When a customer, you know, your neighbor walks in, needs a gallon of milk, and you're charging almost $5 a gallon where they could get it for almost half that. So, it, you know, at, at a certain point, uh, people aren't willing to pay for that convenience. And, I, you know, I feel terrible trying to charge $5 for a gallon of milk, but it's, it's a, you know, we probably should be charging 6 to cover our true cost. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. It- yeah, it does. It does sound pretty stressful. What have you been hearing for your customers? I mean, again, tell us a little bit more about Preston Market and your role in the community. So we're we're a pretty diverse store. We're in, in Preston, Connecticut. The population's around five thousand people, so not a big town. Um, we're near Foxwoods Casino. We draw a lot of our business comes from casino employees and, and patrons of the casino. So. Um, of course, there's less people going to the casino. There's less people working at the casino. So our customer count is down. Um, it's it's uh, Sometimes it's very, very quiet. Um, we do have a postal counter in the store. Again, we're very diverse. Um, but, you know, postal prices are going up, too. <laughs> Scott, stay with us. I want to get uh, Tim Phelan to respond from the Connecticut Retail Merchants Association. You know, hearing uh, Scott share that anecdote that he's not able to get what he normally uh, orders, and so he's going to Walmart to fill his shelves. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I tip again. I tip my cap to to Scott and Lori for hanging in there. It's not uh, easy to be an independent retailer. It's never been, and now it's even more challenging to do it. Um, you know, there's just so much pressure, and it's not just small independents. There are um, regional retailers, or even in Connecticut, uh, retailers that have you know multiple locations that are just you know understaffed, and uh, prices are going up, and they have to deal with uh, that with customers. It's just a real challenge, and I I would always say uh, with respect to the supply chain challenges. You know, the, our national organization that we work with, the National Retail Federation, was part of a, a, a meeting at the White House just the other day that talked about ways that they could try to, you know, break this logjam. And, um, you know, a bunch of little things they did could add up to some changes, and hopefully those changes will will help um, retailers like Scott and Lori uh, to get supplies they need uh, faster and keep costs down and they can continue to operate their business. And the other thing that has to happen too is, you know, the the surrounding businesses, like Scott mentioned, the casinos, they, they need to get fully staffed again, bring people back. Um, people need to get back to work in those 
places because that's important uh, part of retail is is the is the surrounding economy. It's not just running your own business. It's making sure that the rest of the economy is up and running as well because that's that's where the consumer comes and that's where the consumer gets their disposable income to go in and shop. So, you know, I, there's no silver bullet that I have that can fix this other than just try to keep pushing it forward and try to get some um, fixes in the supply chain if we can and in and, and other areas. What about when we think about small businesses like Scott's Convenience Store and others? You know, we've heard a lot about over the last year and a half, uh, local restaurants having to close. But in terms of, you know, smaller shops and, and stores, you know, what can you do on the short term to help them? Well, I mean, they've done a remarkable job. All of these small businesses uh, from uh, small independent retailers to small uh, rest, independent restaurants, uh, food stores, uh, throughout this pandemic in, in creating um, a different business model, in some cases completely, to deal with all the stuff that they had to deal with from, you know, closing stores, the doors closed, the doors being open, to meeting customers where they are in terms of getting um, what it is that they're selling to the customer. Um, so all we can do and what we try to do is continue to promote uh, the importance of a strong retail economy uh, to policymakers in Connecticut to let legislators and the governor's office know that, you know, the decisions that they make have a direct impact on, on, on these businesses. So things like working with the governor's office to make sure that the safe store guidelines that were in place were uh, reasonable for retailers to work with and uh, to, you know, talk about uh, ways that, you know, we could ease some restrictions to get consumers back into stores in a safe manner. And, um, with legislature working on ways that can continue to try to lower business costs so that they can um, continue to try to make a, a profit and try to make uh, be competitive um, in this mm. environment. But really the the champions in all of this are the independent retailers themselves who have made the shifting. I mean, what Lori talked about earlier and what she's had to do, um, her and her husband have had to do to keep her three stores up and running is just remarkable. And it's and I've seen that um, across the board in, in with small retail stores, that they have made changes in their business model on the die, on the, in a minute's notice, just like that. Um, they've had a they've had a shift uh, during this and they've done a remarkable job. So um, we should continue to applaud them and and we at, at the association will do everything we can to continue to support them. Scott Hunter is still with us, owner of Preston Market. Scott, what do you need from your lawmakers or even your community to help you? What do we need Ooh, from a lawmaker? Boy, that's a, that's a good <laughs> question. I, uh, <laughs> probably need them to stay out of the way, right, Scott? Just probably. I don't know. I, you know, probably stop adding taxes. I, I don't know. I you know, every time I think about you, when you go buy a pint of Ben and Jerry's, and I, I bet most people listening don't even realize that there's a 7.35% tax on that. Um, that doesn't really help a retailer. Um, that's a big tax. When, when the government is making more money percentage-wise on items than the retailer, I think there's a problem. Um, you know... And uh, you know, tobacco, we sell tobacco. I mean, you know, 
take it or leave it. I mean, tobacco is a real thing. It's been around for a long time. So we sell tobacco. The, the taxes, um, the, you know, the state of Connecticut and the federal government are making, I don't know, they're making like six bucks a pack. And we're making 93 cents. Okay, and and I'm the one paying the rent and paying the insurance and paying my help and paying this and paying that, and they make more money than I do. So uh, for me, that that's incredible. That that's wrong. Um, so the taxing isn't the way to solve the state's budget. To just keep taxing the consumer, that's not the way to go. Scott, meanwhile, you've got some customer loyalty, I'm sure, in the town of Preston, and that must help as you continue to run your business and you see community members coming in. Yeah, our customers are our friends. Um, you know, they're our friends and neighbors. Um, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of them because they've, you know, they lost their jobs. Um, but they have a different job. They don't, you know, come by the area, but, um, you know. People got to work. Got to keep people working. And you know, I, I don't know the answer. I, I don't. I really don't. Well, Scott Hunter, I we just, appreciate you, know. you taking your time to tell us what you've been experiencing, owner of Preston Market. Thanks, Scott, for your time. You bet. Thank you. And Tim Phelan was here from Connecticut's Retail Merchants Association. We'll see what the holidays bring, Tim. Yeah, one thing I can tell you, uh, Lucy's Christmas will uh, be here in the holidays will take place. And if um, you're a local uh, Connecticut resident uh, listening in, uh, support your local retailers, support uh, the Scott uh, Hunters and the, and the Lori's uh, from her stores. Uh, they need your support. Uh, shop local. Uh, you'll be helping Connecticut's economy and you'll be helping Connecticut's retailers. That's Tim Phelan again from Connecticut's Retail Merchants Association. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to continue talking about the chain disruption and the larger factors at play. UConn finance professor Fred Carstensen will join us. Before we hear from him, today's the last day of our fall membership campaign. Have you supported Connecticut Public Radio yet? Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about shortages at retail stores, even supplies at restaurants running low because of problems in the global supply chain. For more, let's bring in an economist into the conversation. Joining us now on Zoom, Fred Karstensen, UConn finance professor and director at the Connecticut Center for Economic Analysis at UConn. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. So we know this is a deeply layered problem. So give us a sense of what's happening internationally, all the factors at play that we're starting to see in Connecticut. Well, it is it is global. Um, and of course, the first thing is is COVID-19 and especially the Delta variant, which has resulted in, uh, for instance, Vietnam has become a very important source of supply for a lot of components. And they've had dozens of factory shutdowns because of COVID outbreaks. They've had a very bad surge there, and that's affecting other countries as as well. And in ports, there have been a real problem with staffing in in the ports. Uh, And we're very, very dependent, of course, on this enormous international global supply chain, you know, with these big containers. And uh, uh, it's not just Los Angeles, uh, Long Beach, which is um, mm-hmm. uh, where 40% of our 
our imports come in. Uh, but in, in the UK, they have uh, just enormous problems. They can't get the, uh, the shipping containers out of the ports because of a shortage of, of truck drivers. And so uh, it's not just the United States. It's, it really is a global phenomenon. Uh, the second one is, is actually uh, self-imposed. Uh, China is trying to uh, improve its environmental impact, and uh, uh, President Xi cut uh, the energy that was available to factories, so they burn less coal. So factories that had worked six days a week uh, have had to cut to four days a week. Uh, India has uh, wanted to become more self-sufficient. This is sort of nationalist uh, policies. So they stopped importing um, uh, coal, and now they have an, they have an energy shortage. Uh, so uh, in Europe, um, uh, the wind stopped blowing, and Europe is very, very dependent on, um, on green energy, um, on, on turbines. And the turbines didn't turn because the, the, the wind wasn't blowing. Um, so they've ended up with an energy crisis. Uh, so it really has been kind of the perfect storm <laughs> of everything that could go wrong in the chain uh, is. And, and because over the last 50, 60 years, we've developed this just-in-time production technology, and you're bringing in components, uh, you know, like the shoelaces. The shoelaces are coming from, you know, Bangladesh or something. And, and uh, you have other uh, components. Uh, almost nobody is, is making things, quote-unquote, locally. Um, you're assembling things from literally all over the world. And so just one piece of that very complex uh, chain uh, breaking down uh, is going to create problems. And what we've had is it breaking down mm. for multiple reasons in, in, in multiple parts of, of the world. So um, uh, it's going to take a while to, to sort this out, mm. uh, solve some of these problems and find a different way of doing things. Um, Lori, I think, was really wonderful on talking about you know she found this small italian you know company that could provide the puzzles i mean it was it, it, it's a great uh learning experience as she said but companies are going especially small companies are going to learn to have much more diversified um supply operations um and and be much more creative about how they respond to this mm-hmm. oddly the big box stores are much less capable of responding in this way uh, because they got layers of bureaucracy and so on. Uh, and they also want very large volumes. Right. A lot of Fred, small I was, Fred, I was going to mention, um, you mentioned shipping containers. Uh, when we think about how uh, retailers get their inventory, uh, the, the cost for shipping has increased. Getting space on these shipping containers, I understand, has quintupled <laughs> in the last year. And so who's getting that space? Walmart and Amazon. Yes, it's it's you're right too. That that the the and actually there's been a problem with supply of the containers themselves. We have enormous amount of imports coming in in containers. We end up with a lot of empty containers, and and you got to get those empty containers back to where the the products are being packed. Well, that process is kind of broken down. So there's con- shortages of containers uh, because the containers are in the wrong place. Um, it's, uh, one of the things just generally, we've had a lot of, of this, what we call spatial issues. Uh, a lot of the way the places, the economy has re- been recovering is not the places where people live who don't have jobs. Um, uh, so th- there is a spatial mismatch. There's a skills mismatch. 
Uh, and that was that was true before this other kind of breakdown. So we've been sort of piling up problems um, uh, progressively, uh, and and they've all sort of come together uh, in 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 the last month or so. And can I you, think, um, Fred, can you talk about uh, the consumer role in this? So obviously, consumer demand is high, and when they hear that there are shortages, all of a sudden panic buying starts up, or let's get shopping right now. And so, talk about how this can exacerbate what we're already experiencing. Oh yeah, no, there's no question that 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 people uh, panic, and if they see something that's in in short supply, they immediately, you know, buy six months of what they might need. Um, you know, and we knew this early on, you know, uh, more than a year and a half ago when the shutdowns first came is, you know, all the toilet paper disappeared, all the paper products disappeared. There, were, uh, We all remember going through, you know, our, our supermarkets and having huge gaps on the shelves because people were going in and buying huge quantities because when you face this kind of problem, you don't know when the supply is going to be restored. And so the irony is that that when a problem like this emerges, the way people respond makes the problem worse uh, because we put even more pressure on the supply chain. You know, we, we say, oh, we got to have more of this. Uh, and and so there's no question that that's also happened. We've had a very significant surge in, uh, in, in demand. And that was a process that had been building up anyway. Uh, and we already had problems with staffing. We already had problems with, um, uh, you know, shortages of, of workers, whether it's in, in the stores themselves or in restaurants or in fulfillment centers or truck drivers. Uh, we just were very ill prepared. And again, this is not a, not a national American issue. This is a global issue. Almost every country is struggling with how to, to respond to this a complex set of, of public health issues, of economic issues, and so on. I'm glad you brought up the worker shortages. We know with uh, when COVID was really bad, with outbreaks, also power outages, forcing people out of work, but also thinking about staffing shortages in, the, in response to poor working conditions. Absolutely. Well, in fact, we have an unusual amount of strikes nationally. Uh, John Deere uh, out in the Midwest has a big strike. Uh, there, um, we've actually had seen for the first time in many years, a significant uptick in uh, support for unions, uh, cause workers have, you know, come to a realization of, of, uh, how bad the working conditions are, uh, and how you know, a whole issue about, because we are unique, uh, in, in virtually an entire world that we put so much of our fringe benefits, particularly healthcare on employment. Um, and instead of other countries, uh, it's a national, it's a public commitment, uh, and you don't run it through your employers. So you have access to healthcare, whether or not you're employed. And because our system is also so extraordinarily expensive, uh, companies have been systematically cutting back, uh, and workers are enormously frustrated with the, how much of the costs have been shifted onto them. Uh, so we've got serious policy problems that, that transcend the short-term phenomenon. Uh, and, and we've only got a couple of minutes left. And I, Tim had pointed out something. And it's, it's Your listeners need to understand that for Connecticut, um, the, the, the challenges we face transcend the short-term phenomenon. Tim talked about 
how important it was to get the casinos back working, to get people back employed, to restore household income. So it's not just a short-term uh, issue or issue related to this. Uh, but the sad reality is that Connecticut has a very, very poorly performing economy. We never recovered from uh, the Great Recession, either in employment, but we had the worst performing state economy in the nation. Uh, we never recovered in terms of real output, well, state gross uh, product, state the uh, gross domestic product is the equivalent of uh, GDP. And we have, uh, our jobs have not recovered. Worse than the jobs in Connecticut, people who live in Connecticut but work outside of Connecticut lost a phenomenal number of jobs in the last four months. Um, and, and so household income in Connecticut is down very significantly. And that ultimately is what drives mm -hmm. retail demand, uh, as Tim uh, emphasized. Yeah. And, and right now it doesn't look like Connecticut has a, has a path to recovery, mm -hmm. not just coming out of this great recession, but also mm -hmm. sort of more broadly. We're, we're, we're facing really very, very significant challenges over and above these short-term mm -hmm. uh, supply line disruptions. I'm glad that you brought the, that up, that picture that is in, that's been uh, Connecticut's reality for some time. Um, we're hoping to have Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont back on the show soon, and we'll be sure to bring up some of the points that you've raised. Fred Carsonson, thank you for your time and the context you provided our listeners. He's a UConn finance professor and director at the Connecticut Center for Economic Analysis at UConn. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Today is the final day of Connecticut Public Radio's fall membership drive. We hit on so many different topics on this show. We talked to Connecticut residents about the issues that matter to them. So support these conversations with a pledge. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. <laughs>